there's just tons of resources out here for us to be struggling or living in lack, you know, out here struggling instead of uh, really, really thriving like we could be doing. And I understand it's a journey, right? And you don't get there overnight. But if you put one foot on the ground and, and that other foot in front of that one and you keep going, eventually you'll come out of that circumstance that you're in. I always tell the moms on my platform that your circumstances are temporary. I'm literally a living witness. <laughs> so I've come out of a very dark place to where I am now. And I'm just, I'm grateful to be here to, to be able to share my story and give back. Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're the fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting and getting no sleep, to changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to talk about the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. So every year around Mother's Day, I try to have a mom on to talk about parenting from a different perspective. And today I'm happy to be joined by Miss Kim Williams, and I'll let her tell you guys all about some of the awesome things that she has going on in the name of motherhood. So, so Kim, welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So as you stated, my name is Kim. I am the founder of Single Black Motherhood, and I actually have a podcast. It's called Experiencing Motherhood Single and Black. I recently moved from Houston and I'm now living in a small town in Arizona and I have a daughter. She is eight years old. And so I'm just glad to be here. Awesome. Awesome. And again, happy Mother's Day to you and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there who may be listening to this episode. Um, so when we're talking about motherhood, Kim, this is a question that I ask you know, the guys who come on, on my show. I ask them what fatherhood means to, the, to you. But obviously, from your perspective, I want to hear... When you think about motherhood, what does that mean to you? So when I think about motherhood, I think about a lot of the challenges that we face, right? So we do a lot of sacrificing. We have to put our kids before us sometimes. I'm really big, though, on making ourselves a priority. But a lot of the things that we do, uh, we, we make those sacrifices. It's unconditional love. It's protection. It's family, happiness, love, you know, just all of those things uh, come to my mind when I think about motherhood. That's that's awesome, man. I definitely, you know, appreciate the, the moms and the mother figures uh, in my life growing up. So, you know, when you, when you talk about motherhood as pertains to you, and we'll get a little bit into your story down the line, who are and were some role models um, in motherhood um, for you? Someone, some women may, maybe you've looked up to in, in terms of this is who I want to model my approach to being a mom after. Can I be honest? <laughs> sure, absolutely. I don't really have a role model as okay. far as motherhood goes, because when I think of a role model, I think of somebody that, I, you know, like you said, you want to imitate and you want to be like them, but I, I don't actually have that. I have been impacted by a lot of great moms out there, and I'd like to model some of their characteristics, but just the whole mother itself, like, I don't 
no one person that I would like to imitate. Um, I really take pride in just being an individual and carving out my own path. And that's in life and motherhood in just different areas, you know? So I know that's probably not the typical answer, but um, yeah, <laughs> that's what no. I what I think. I mean. Well, I, I guess that kind of leads me to a follow-up question because that has been your experience. How did that impact you and, and your approach to motherhood once you became a mom? So, yeah. So when I became a mom, you know, I was really young. I was pregnant at 21 and I had my daughter and then I turned 22. So fairly young. And, you know, my grandmother raised me. So I don't know if that has anything to do with the way that I think, but I I don't know. You know, I feel like I had this thing where my initial mindset was just like figuring out how I was going to provide for this child that I just had. So once I I got to a place where I felt like, okay, now I can see above like this financial burden, then I was like, I need some help in order to become an effective parent and in order to raise my child to the best of my ability. I'm going to need some help because, you know, my grandma was great and I really appreciate her stepping in um, and raising me, but she, she was wasn't the the best I think mm-hmm. role model. You know, she did what she ca- what she could with the resources that she had. So I, I went to therapy and I um, you know talked to my therapist about you know my childhood and the type of parent that I wanted to be, and I asked for help and resources with tools. So that that is how it affected me, I guess. You know, once I became a mom. So, so let's let's actually, Kim, take take a step back a little bit and talk a little bit about your your journey as a mom, specifically as a single mom, as you spoke of. You're you're 20, 21 years old, and I think everyone can remember that stage of life. We're young, you know, just trying to figure out our way, and all of a sudden, you're about to become a mom. Take us through the emotions of that, and then your journey um, over the past few years as you've grown into motherhood. Yeah. So <laughs> it's crazy. Cause when I became pregnant, um, I didn't want to be pregnant. You know, mm-hmm. I was in college. I was barely taking care of myself. So I had all of these emotions and thoughts, you know, I was like, do I really believe in abortions? Because I was raised in like a Christian household, right? Mm-hmm. I was in the church every Sunday, Wednesday night, like whenever the doors of the church were yeah, open, I, I was know. there. <laughs> and so I had to go through this thing in my mind of like, could I really have a kid while being a kid? Because I still yeah. felt like I was a kid trying to learn how to navigate life. Um, I didn't have the typical parents that, you know, gave me money or you know did things that most parents did when I uh, was going through college. So I was basically taking care of myself. And I had been probably since about 16. So that was really difficult for me because I had decided when I went to college that I didn't think I wanted a family anymore. I didn't think I wanted kids. I just wanted to, you know, go to school and live life and travel the world. Like, that's what I wanted to do. But then when I got pregnant, it's like, now I have all of these decisions that I have to make. And and I was actually on an internship in New York when I figured out, like, I was pregnant. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I called my daughter's father and I told him he really didn't have much to say. He had already had a kid in high school at the time. So... Yeah, it was just really navigating through that. I felt alone. Uh, You know, my friends, uh, they really didn't understand, like, my emotions. And I think I went back to Mississippi 
um, Mississippi, I'm sorry, like two months later. And um, I took a pregnancy test at that time. The whole time I was in New York, I did not take a pregnancy test, even though I knew I was pregnant. Yeah. And so my roommate at the time, she uh, recommended me to go to Planned Parenthood. And there was a lady there that talked to me and she prayed for me. And even after I left there, I was still, you know, dealing with the thoughts of, you know, can I keep this child? And so I ended up going to an abortion clinic and I went in there and, you know, small town Mississippi, you know, it's not that big of a thing where you just get abortions because there's yeah. so many people out there protesting. And so the town, so, I mean, because the town is so small, uh, people can recognize you by your car. So it's also dealing with like embarrassment and, you know, the fear of people finding out. But I was just like, well, I have to live this life for me. So I have to go and see if this thing is really something I don't believe in, or if this is just, you know, a thing that I've adapted because of my grandma belief you know Mm -hmm. and so it took me going through the clinic and listening to moms cry and hearing them go through the procedures and then watching videos to uh finally decide okay this is not for me and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to um have this kid and raise it to the best of my ability I think in that moment and so it was a lot and so fast forward you know I'm still trying to work things out with my daughter's father but he's not maturing at the same rate that I am. So it's very frustrating. And so I think I tried to work it out for like the next year or so. And then things didn't get any better. He was still talking to like so many other girls at college and he was still um, doing what he had to do. I was working two jobs. He was only working one. I mean, just, I could go on and on. So I decided like, okay, we're going to separate because at this point, I don't even know if this is a relationship. I don't know what this is. So I, we were living together too at the time. So I moved out and I moved into my own place and then I stayed there for a year. Once my lease was up, things did not get better so I told him I was gonna leave uh and so he didn't really say much about it I told him that if he wanted to see our daughter um I would meet him you know halfway or whatever at the time I think we were uh six and a half hours from each other so he didn't really uh show much effort to come see her much and that was fine you know I moved away I made the decision so we moved to Houston we were there five years um it really impacted my life in such an amazing way I I grew so much in Houston I got on my feet I prospered I built this community of single moms all around the world and so (laughs) I just I'm really thankful you know to be in this place today and now I've relocated again and I'm here in Arizona so I guess that's just a quick story of kind of, you know, my journey through this thing. And my daughter has been with me every step of the way. Well, that that is an awesome story, Kim. And, you know, kudos to you. And we applaud you for your perseverance throughout this entire process of you becoming a mom. Uh, I'm wondering, as I'm listening to you talk, um, who did you lean on? Uh, you know, you mentioned your friends. They didn't really quite understand. Again, at 20, 21 years old, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to relate to that in, in many respects, but who did you lean on um, throughout your pregnancy and even through those first few years of even coming a mom, you know, through that transition to Houston? 
Who did you lean well, on? I'll have to say, you know, I don't know if you have an audience of believers, but I truly believe that God has kept me. And, you know, my prayers have really gotten mm-hmm. me through uh, for the most part. But outside of that, you know, um, I still did talk to my grandma quite a bit. But although she didn't understand what I was going through, especially when I told her I was pregnant, uh, she was not a fan of that. And she kept asking me, why did I do that to myself? Yeah. Uh, but after we got past like the pregnancy it was very lonely and dark. Uh, like I said, I really didn't have anybody to go to because my friends, they didn't get it. I did have one friend that she would listen, but it wasn't much she could say, right? Because she didn't understand. She had never been in that type of situation. And then she also had like family support when I didn't really have a whole lot. Yeah. So it's just a, a bunch of differences. But once I got through the whole pregnancy uh, stage, then I was able to, you know, talk to my grandma and then um, talk to my friends. But again, it would be more so a venting and not really like for advice just to get it out I guess really should have been in therapy at that time but you know nobody even really talked about therapy then so yeah yeah, I didn't really get to lean on people until I think I moved to Houston and I learned that I had to lean on people you know yeah yeah so you know you you mentioned a lot of the low points and I'm wondering um throughout that process until you you talked about Houston when you got on your feet what would talk describe to us a, a low point through this entire journey, those first first few years? Um, if, if you can, you know, paint that picture of some low points in early motherhood for you and how challenging was that for you? After moving, um, so I would say, well, working two jobs and trying to finish college, um, it may not seem low to most people, but it was low for me because I had to figure out, you know, who was going to keep my daughter? How was I going to do this? How was I going to do that? And then moving to Houston, um, I had originally moved with some family that had said they were going to help me. But about six months later, uh, we had some disagreements and I ended up moving out. And so I found myself alone again in a big city where I didn't know anybody outside of the family that said they were going to help me. And so uh, I moved into an apartment not knowing how I was going to afford it. And so uh, I ended up getting on like Facebook and I was in um, the Bajanese's uh, Facebook group. I think it's called Dreamcatchers. And a mom in there had posted that she had a work from home opportunity. And so I did that for about six months or so before they lost a contract. But in that period, I was literally uh, working a full-time job during the day and then working a part-time job at night to pay the bills. Cause I, I didn't know, like, you know, I just, like I said, I moved into that apartment, not really knowing. And then the apartment was crappy. And I, I tell you, whenever uh, somebody would take a shower above me, like it would be like, it was raining mm. in my tub, you know, and then not to even go into the pest and all of that. But I feel like that was just a really uh, low period when my daughter was around two to three, you know, and like I said, uh, the family that I moved in with, they didn't call to check on me. They didn't know where I lived. It was just, it was just horrible. And I think I didn't really have or know that I needed to reach out to people or I needed to find a community. It was just because I was in this state of like work, work, working. I didn't even really have a lot of time to even think about what I was going through and reflect. You know what I'm saying? Did, did doubt and, you know, questioning God, like, why am I in this position? Did that ever cross your mind? 
I was just like, I think God is putting me through some really tough tests, but I'm not going to give up because also in addition to that, I was having car accidents year after Mm -hmm. year. Um, I got a car when I moved to Houston. That car, it got totaled, I think, within the first couple of months I moved. Months later, somebody else hit me. And then it was just like, I'm telling you, car accident after car accident. And my grandma was like, you should just come back. And I started to think for a moment that I just needed to go back. I just needed to give up everything in Houston and go back home, you know, where I had help. But then I was like, okay, if I go back home, what am I going to gain from doing yeah. that? You know? And so I just figured I would, you know, continue to pray and that God was going to see me through the, the tough times. And eventually I would be able to see again. So at what point, you know, we're talking about all these things that you're going through and the challenges um, that you're experiencing, experiencing, at what point did it start to turn around for you? Uh, So I think (laughs) when I moved out of that apartment, I got another job and I was able to pay all of my bills, I think, Mm -hmm. because financially, like that's one of the biggest, I think, concerns that especially single moms have. So once I was able to do that, I was able to focus on other parts of my life. You know, I think because my sole focus was on money and providing that I, like I said earlier, I didn't really have time to think about much else. So once I was able to do that, then I was able to focus on okay, I can look for a therapist because now I I can make time, you know, because I'm not working those two jobs. Um, I can look for podcasts that are catered to single moms, which I really didn't find. So I started my own, but I can now find community. I can, you know, meet with people now that I have time. So yeah, things really started to turn around for me around that time. Did you, I'm I'm interested in the fact that you knew that therapy was something that you need it. And that's not something you hear a lot from, from our people. Did, where, did, where did that interest or that knowledge of therapy come into play? Was that something that was recommended to you? Um, uh, how so did the- I, I actually do a lot of reading. So okay. I had gotten away from reading though, after I had my daughter, but once I lost um, that contract with the part-time job, then I got back into reading and I started looking for podcasts. And so I want to say I was following Miley. She's the founder of Curlbox, and she talked about like how therapy had impacted her life and mm-hmm. how it turned her life around, and she was able to improve like relationships with her parents. And so I was just like, let me look into therapy. And I think around that time too, I learned about therapy for Black girls. And so I was just like, this is something that I also need because if it's really impacting her life in a meaningful way and she's able to, you know, improve her relationship with her parents, then surely it can help me be a great parent and work right. through some of the things that I have been through. Awesome. Awesome. And and obviously you, you started going to therapy and what changes did you see? Did you feel? How did it help you personally? I think the way that I processed my thoughts changed, my mindset shifted, the way that I even talked about myself, the way that I learned to care for myself, just so much growth. I think even being able to process like why I did the things that I did as far as, you know, hollering at my daughter or wanting to whoop her because I thought mm-hmm. that that's what I should do because that's what my grandma did. Yep. You know, just, yeah. uh, it's a lot, you know, I, I learned so much from therapy. I'm wondering, Kim, um, listening to you talk and, you know, was was self-esteem ever an issue um, with you, you know, with the struggles that you experienced? Did you ever have any self-esteem issues? I don't 
think so. I don't think okay. I ever had any self-esteem issues. Uh, and if you ask my my daughter's father, he'll probably tell you that I think the world of myself. Yeah. So well, yeah, I don't thing. think that was ever a problem. Mm-hmm. I even told him that if he, you know, he was going to talk to these other women, he could just go on. I don't have time to be trying to worry about whether he's talking to this person or that person. You know, I could really do this by myself. So I, I never think that I, I dealt with, um, you know, self-esteem now confidence might have been something that I that I dealt with but not self-esteem I never thought like lower um, than myself like or I was worse than anybody else or I just was not capable you know yeah yeah all right I totally understand so I'm wondering you know with all these experiences that we're we're talking about um, that you've gone through how did those experiences shape you as a mom how did you grow in motherhood through everything that you've you went through to this point? I mean, just looking back, I I feel like I've grown and I've evolved into a more of a mature mom because mm-hmm. I think you go through stages, right? It's like you start off not really knowing anything about motherhood because you don't have a manual. And, uh, mm-hmm. and also like, you know, I think it's different from like keeping somebody's kid to having your own kid. Or yeah. maybe if you grew up in the house with kids that were way younger than you, maybe that's different. But it was just me and my brother growing up and uh, we were around the same age. So I had never really been around kids. So just again, processing my thoughts and learning how to parent and how to have this open dialogue with my daughter and how to understand things about her development and, you know, that she doesn't know that I'm responsible for teaching her so much. And I, I didn't really know that at first, you know, I would tell her something and I would expect for her to automatically get it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's really helped me evolve. Um, and yeah. so I don't know specifically the, the ways, but like I said earlier, I just know that in the way that I speak, in the way that I talk to my daughter, in the way that we communicate, um, I just think that it's impacted me that way. And how old is your daughter now? She's eight now. Cool. So I guess, I mean, a, a question I would have then is, what are some things that maybe you did um, as a mom in year one, year two, that you don't do now with an eight-year-old? And, and conversely, what are some things that maybe you didn't do um, in those early years and now you've applied and you you do on a regular basis um, in motherhood? Yeah, so in the year one and two, um, I would probably say year two because year one, I think I was okay. But year two, like, you know, they call it the terrible two stage. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm there now. So much, and so I would just... I would pop her little legs or I would scream. Um, I would I would just get frustrated so easily. And so I think now I learned how to practice patience and I've learned to communicate to her uh, that I, I'm getting frustrated. And if she could just give me a moment or, you know, talking about boundaries and needing my space. And I think it also helps because she's a little bit older, you know. Mm-hmm. But even from an early age, I, um, I just started communicating with her more effectively. I allow her to to do things and help out, you know, because even though she was small, she could pick up trash or she could do, I didn't have to do it all for her. And I think I was thinking that um, initially starting out, well, year one, you know, you kind of have to, but then when she starts to talk, it's like, I can teach her vocabulary. I can teach her language. And so she just doesn't whine for every single thing, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you brought up the, the fact about, you know, the yelling, because that's what you experienced growing up. Um, and that's definitely relatable for me, the spankings and the, the switch and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I think it's important that, you know, we unlearn a lot of the practices oh, that yes. previous generations did because that was just accepted as this is what you're supposed to do. Um, how important is that, you know, for moms and even for dads for the purpose of this podcast to just kind of unlearn some of those cultural, quote unquote, traditions in parenting that have been passed on as normal for years? I mean, I think it's very important that we unlearn that. And so much of it affects our kids and it can cause trauma and they'll have to unlearn things that we did to them when they get older. So it's really good if we can unlearn that so that we can help them now as young children. You know, childhood development is so important. And, uh, you know, even though I I did a lot of things in year one and two, uh, my daughter's brain has the ability to to be uh, reshaped. There's a terminology and I can't think of it uh, right now, but I was thinking like, oh my gosh, I've messed her up. But it's like, no, you know, you still have time to recover uh, because her her brain is still growing, you know, it's still shaping and forming. And so it's okay. You can start today unlearning those things. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging because I think my therapist explained to me that uh, my brain was battling between the parent I wanted to become and the parent my grandmother was to me. And mm-hmm. so it gets really difficult, but you have to learn how, how to manage the two yeah. in those uh, very challenging moments. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'm talking to Miss Kim Williams today on the Fatherhood Podcast, and you, she's she has an outstanding platform in single Black motherhood that caters to Black millennial single moms. So tell us a little bit about that, Kim, how that came to be and what you have going on over there. Yes, absolutely. So... I started my podcast, as I mentioned earlier, because I was searching for a podcast that catered to moms that looked like me and that were around my age. But when I started to search, I didn't really see any, you know, African-American moms that were podcasting. I did come across two that had an old podcast, but they hadn't done it in a while. And then I tried to Google them, reach out, um, never got any response. And so I was just like, People are always asking me how I do things as a single mom. So why don't I just start my own podcast? And I sat on the idea for maybe six months to a year. And a girl I went to college with, she reached out to me to ask me to be on her YouTube because she felt like a lot of people could benefit from the things that I was already doing. And before I had Single Black Motherhood uh, on Instagram, I, I just was using my personal page, right? Just sharing, you know, things I did on a daily basis. And so after she reached out, I was like, hmm, if she is a single, you know, well-educated, I think at the time she had her master's and was working on her PhD, is reaching out to me as a single mom who barely has it together. Well, at least I thought in my mind um, that I barely (laughs) got it together. But I'm like, if she's reaching out to me to be on her YouTube channel for an interview, people need to hear what I have to say. People can benefit from the things that I'm going through and they may not have to go through it because I've already been there, right? And all I have to do is just share or I can actually share as I go. So as a matter of fact, I'll just share my journey. You know, what it looks like to live this life of being a single mom, especially an African-American single black mom who's out yeah. there trying to live this life and, and do good in the world, you know? Because uh, I was Googling and I was seeing a 
bunch of like negative statistics, negative articles, and I didn't really see a lot of positive things. So I started the podcast and then I was like, people are going to need a way to reach out to me. They're probably going to want to see more. So I started the Instagram community, Single Black Motherhood, and that is how it all began. Yeah, that that is awesome. And I encourage everyone to to check that out. We'll get the information uh, before we wrap up. But what what type of feedback have you gotten over the years from from folks who have tapped into that community you've built? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Amazing feedback. I've gotten tons of stories. Some stories have made me really share tears because Mm -hmm. I had no idea of the amount of impact I would have by simply just being my authentic self. You know, I don't show up to social media as a person who has it all together or on my podcast. I just really try to keep it real. And people have, they've started businesses, they've started blogs, they went to therapy, they've changed their lives. I mean, it's, it's really just been amazing. And I started out to, you know, attract a single black moms like myself but now I have moms of all different races I have married moms uh, just as well as single moms yeah. I have uh, single women just as well as single men that uh, follow my page because either somehow they knew a single mom or they were raised by a single mom or somehow they found my page or somebody shared my content and they they also wanted to follow along so I'm just really grateful, you know, to be able to impact people around the world. So it's no longer, I guess, just about single moms, but, yeah. just, you know, people in general. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what are some, Kim, what are some misconceptions um, about single moms and specifically single black moms that you've dealt with one? And what are just some general generalizations in regards to, to single motherhood that frustrate you the most? Uh, I think one thing that frustrates me the most is, you know, especially when people are like, how do you do it? I couldn't do that if I were you. And it's just like, you could, you know, and for you to say that is just, it's mind blowing for me because you do what you have to do. It's not about, you don't know how you could do it. And, and then I think the misconception is that single moms, uh, are all on government assistance or Mm. they're not really making moves or they are struggling or they are less than because they're single. Um, and they don't have help. I think that's another misconception. It's like, we have community. We have people that are willing to help us. We just have to be willing to ask, you know, I think going through this journey, um, that was the biggest lesson I had to learn is like asking for help. There are people out there that want to help. And then also I think, um, that, you know, a lot of people think that single moms are not going to school and getting educated, but they are. There's yeah. so many moms out there that are, they're just doing a lot, okay? They're just doing a lot that people just don't think they are capable of doing. And, you know, that includes yourself. I mean, you've, you know, you're working, you just moved recently, I think, last year during the pandemic. Um, talk no, to us a little bit about moved last month. Last, last month. Well, we are, yeah. we're still, we're still technically in a pandemic. So, how was that move? Um, was that presenting any challenges for, for you? I know you did it for work. So tell us a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so this move was actually a really smooth move. So I cannot complain at all. Uh, now, my first move, <laughs> that was challenging. But this one was easy because the job, um, they relocated me. And so they they really gave me what I needed. You know, I was able to negotiate um for a reimbursement for shipping my car, you know, my furniture um, and things like that, you know, my flight to get here. So 
I, you know, Jamar, I can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> well, it good, wasn't that... hard. It probably would, would be a little bit more challenging had I just um, up and moved without a, a, the company and without a plan. But because I, I mapped this all out and then everything just fell in place, um, I didn't really have any problems. They put me in a, a temporary house that's yeah. owned by the hospital. So it was fully furnished. I literally just came in and you know, make sure things were clean and I went to sleep. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah well, that, well, I'm glad it was, it was smooth. <laughs> you, you, you mentioned the word planning and that just kind of made me think, I'm sure to do everything you do by yourself, it does take effective planning time management, I would assume, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I think if you do not plan, you plan to fail. Yeah. Yeah, awesome, it's like, awesome. Uh, especially as a single mom, it's really hard to live by the seat of your pants, you know, uh, if you want to get things done because there are so many moving parts. It's like you're the only one that's taking care of your child. Well, for the most part, I know some single parents have their co-parents. And I mean, yeah. my daughter's father, he does contribute uh, financially and he sees her occasionally. But the day to day things, I'm really the one that's responsible for that. So, yeah. 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 So speaking of dads, and this this is a fatherhood podcast, uh, I want you and I don't want you to take it easy on us. But what, in your opinion, do, do dads and men miss when it comes to dealing with with moms and relating to moms uh, as it pertains to, to parenting? I'm honestly trying to figure that out because I'm just like, I think I, I know there's a difference in the way that men and women process their thoughts. But sometimes I'm just like, do you guys even think? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure it out. Like, how do I help you? Like, if you don't communicate and tell me like what you need me to tell you, how am I supposed to know? You know, if yeah. you need a remind, if you need a reminder for me to say, hey, like you need to send X, Y, Z, then let me know so that I can do that. So I think if a lot of men communicated more effectively, then we would be in a much better place today. Yeah. But I so, think so what does that look like for you or and not necessarily not necessarily maybe specific to you, but in general, what what is effective communication to to you and your girlfriends and women in general, what does that look like? So I think well, number one, uh, a lot of times emotions get involved in communication, especially with parents. And so I think if for a second we could take the emotions out of it, right? And we take the kid, like you know, this is about the kids, and uh, we communicate it on their behalf. I think we could do a lot better. <laughs> okay. So just like just keeping it real, like you don't have to beat around the bush. If you don't agree with something that I'm doing, just let me know. You know, and then we could talk about like how we could improve this or maybe we could meet in the middle, you know, but it doesn't have to be like what you want or what I want. We like I said, we could just communicate effectively so that, you know, we we meet somewhere in the middle. Is that easy? I, I mean, I think so. Okay. <laughs> I'm just like, tell me, because I, I don't get offended easily. I know everybody's not going to be able to do this. Uh, but, you know, I think with some work and some practice that it can happen. Like, I truly believe that it can happen. And yeah. um, I don't know if you know Clark, but he, he has, I think he's half of like single dad while you're mad or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we often talk about these things about like how, uh, people or I guess parents struggle to communicate with each other and how much better we could be if, you know, we were better with communication. I mean, I've taken a course on communication, <laughs> so I know it, people aren't as investing as easily as I am. Uh, but I just think that if you want to be successful parents, if you want to be effective and you want to 
to communicate with the other parent to the best of your ability, then you have to invest, right? If you're not able to do that on your own, if you're not going to put in the work and try to read a book or take an online course or something to help you communicate, then I, I think that you should invest in a course where maybe both of you go and sit in there and then you learn um, how that person receives information because everybody receives it different, you know, and, and I think that's important. Awesome. Awesome. Great, great advice, Kim. So, you know, with the move, with the new job, with these cor- these communication courses that you that you recommend, you know, how do you find or make time just for for you to take care of your mental, physical health? Uh, health? Um, how do you make time for all that? I try to start off the day, like every single day, I'm like checking in with myself mentally. So I get up, I sit there for a moment, you know, I thank God for allowing me to see another day and I read a devotion. And so Mm -hmm. I think that people call it centering, I guess, or grounding, but I think that really sets the tone for my day. If I miss that, I I think I might be all over the place. Um, I may try to talk a little loud to my daughter, but because I do that every single morning or almost every morning, I think it really helps me. But then um, additionally, I have been trying to go back to the gym since, you know, things have started to open back up. So making time to take care of my body too is important. So um, I preach this on my platform is like, Make yourself a priority. Even men, I think, you know, when you get up in the morning, check in with yourself before you check in with anybody else. I think that's really mm-hmm. important. Um, and then you you ask, how do I find time to get everything done? I think it's really about priorities. Every day I think about what are my top three priorities? What are the things that I must get done? And then those things are written down. And if I get those things done, then if I have time for anything else, then I'll do that. But, you know, just being clear on your priorities. I think a lot of times, especially I know single moms I don't really know much about dads or maybe moms in general I think that we try to do a lot by ourselves or just a lot in general and so that's why we're not able to accomplish a lot of the things we want to do because we're over here we're over there we're doing this we're doing that and we cannot do it all at one time you know so I think if we can grasp that then we'll be in much better places and we'll be able to get a whole lot more done yeah, yeah. And with that personal time, um, as a single mom, I know some single moms who may be listening to this may be wanting your perspective on, on, on dating. How do you get out there? How do you get out on the scene? How do you meet new people? Um, how does that look? What does that look like for you? So dating is a struggle area for me. <laughs> I'm just going to be quite honest. <laughs> I mean, I've tried dating apps. I mean, I've met people at work. Um so I I don't know. I don't think I can give the, the best advice on dating. Okay. Um, just because like it's not my area, I guess strong area. Uh, I think I, I meet people just because I'm generally like a talker. So mm-hmm. people just talk to me. And um, yeah, I don't know. As far as like actually consistently dating, for me, I feel like a lot of guys like my age are not ready for like serious relationships. There, a mm-hmm. lot of them are still working on their careers or um, they're uh, <laughs> focusing on multiple women. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of hard. So when I'm dating, I just really try to get to know the person and not really have any expectations. Uh, so I think it would help maybe if we just learn how 
how to manage our expectations. Um, that's been the biggest lesson for me, just really appreciating the the person that I'm spending time with um, outside of like what I want, if that makes sense. So yeah. I learn a lot from the guys that I've dated. Uh, and I always tell people that like, if I can't learn from the person that I'm spending time with, then I don't want to spend the time because my time is really valuable. So, yes. Yeah, totally understand. A few more questions for you, Kim, and then we'll wrap up. Um, Absolutely. Obviously, you're raising a daughter who's eventually going to become a young woman and mm-hmm. um, walk maybe in, in, in similar paths that, that you have growing up as a, as a young lady. How do you plan on talking to her about your experiences um, some of the challenges that you've experienced that you've talked about on this on this podcast mm-hmm. and just how do you plan to address some of the challenges that she'll face uh, on her own being a, a young black woman? So, uh, you know, my daughter is eight and I try to be as open as I possibly can and share things that are age appropriate. Um, I don't try to hide anything from my daughter. So I think just keeping our communication open will really help me facilitate those conversations. Um, You know, she's seeing a little bit of being a a black woman in America right now, because we moved to a town where the population is 95% Caucasian and Mm. 5% other. So at her school, she may see, you know, three or four black girls or black boys, but that's it, you know? And so this is coming from Houston. Yes. And and we came from a very diverse city, right? (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, and she's only ever lived well she only ever remembers Houston I mean she was one almost two well two when we uh, moved so yeah she only really knows Houston she doesn't even really recall living in Mississippi Uh, however I grew up in a predominantly white school so I'm very familiar with um, what it's like to grow up to be um, a black kid in a predominantly white school Um, and I wasn't really emotional and sensitive like my daughter is. So I'm having to navigate that a little bit differently. And I'm also consulting my therapist about it too. And so I'm thinking that as she grows older, we might just end up in like a family therapy situation mm-hmm. only because um, I just need help facilitating those conversations. And I I'm, I don't know, you know, how I'm going to handle that as she gets older. So, cause I do believe some questions I may not be able to answer uh, only uh, again, just because I'm not as emotional and sensitive um, to people's thoughts about me as she, I can see she is right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I want to circle back on something we talked about earlier. Um, As you mentioned your early uh, journey in motherhood and bring it to present day, what does your support system village look like today? Is it any different? (laughs) Yeah, well, because I just moved, I don't really have a support system where I am now. You know, now when I was in Houston, uh, I did have moms that I met, uh, like on Instagram, that became my village, or moms I met at church that became my village. And so I could call on them to go pick up my daughter, or I could call them, you know, if I needed to go out on a date, or I could drop her off at adventure play care because they were open till 11 or midnight, you know? Mm -hmm. So I had those things in place, but I haven't made it to the point where I've developed the village here yet. Only, like I said, I've just moved last month and honestly, I've been gone every weekend. I haven't really prioritized um, building community here yet, but uh, if you guys follow me, I'll (laughs) definitely be sure to let you know how I'm navigating that. So when I, when I get started, cause I just haven't yet. Understood. Understood. So knowing what you know now um, at this stage of life, if you look back in, you know, uh, 
at Kim at 20, 21 years old, what advice would you give Kim, the new mom, knowing what you know now? Man, I would have said, ask for help. <laughs> it's okay mm. to ask for help. It really is. And uh, it's okay to talk to somebody about what you're going through. I just thought like, man, nobody will understand. Nobody has been through what I'm going through. Nobody has the same situation, but it's not even about that, you know, because a lot of times people go through similar situations and they can share their story that will help you so that you don't have to go through the same thing. It doesn't matter that they didn't go through the exact same thing, but I think if they've even been through a part of what you're going through, it can really help uh, by listening to them share their story. So that is what I would give to younger Kim. Like, just ask for help. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to piggyback off that, that, that thought, what advice would you give just single moms in, in general who may be dealing with some struggles, who may not know how they're going to make it from one day to the next? Give yourself some grace. Um, be kind to yourself. And like I said earlier, make yourself a priority. I know a lot of single moms say, you know, it's hard to do or I don't have time. You have the time. You just have to make it. Uh, because a lot of times at night or when you wake up in the morning, you hop on your phone, right? That's time right there that you're spending that you could just be sitting with yourself, sitting with your thoughts, doing some reflection, and then get some help if you need it. If you need therapy, I'm a huge advocate because it's like empowering my life in such a major way. I'm a huge advocate. And if you don't have, you know, insurance, there are therapists out there that have sliding scales. Mm -hmm. um, there are resources out there. If you have like Medicaid, Medicare, like they will provide therapy services for you. There's EAP at your job. You know, if you feel like you couldn't afford insurances, there's just tons of resources out here for us to be struggling or living in lack, you know, out here struggling instead of uh, really, really thriving like we could be doing. And I understand and it's a journey, right? And you don't get there overnight. But if you put one foot on the ground and, and that other foot in front of that one and you keep going, eventually you'll come out of that circumstance that you're in. I always tell the moms on my platform that your circumstances are temporary. I'm literally a living witness. <laughs> so I've come out of a very dark place to where I am now. And I'm just I'm grateful to be here to, to be able to share my story and give back, you know. Yeah, that's great. And that, that's a great place to wrap up. Kim, I, we could go on and on forever. This has been a great conversation, but I want to be mindful of time. Um, before we let you go, tell everyone how they can get in touch with you, um, all your social media platforms, your website, everything everyone needs to know. Yeah. So if you guys want to stay connected, which I hope you will, just follow me on Instagram at Single Black Motherhood. You can also check out the website, singleblackmotherhood.com. And all of my information is there on those platforms. Well, Kim, thank you so much for joining me on the Father of the Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I want to thank Kim Williams for joining me on the show today. And as always, thank you for listening. And again, I want to give a shout out and a happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there who are listening. You can find the Fatherhood Podcast on all major DSPs, including iTunes and Spotify. On social media, be sure to like the Fatherhood Podcast page on Facebook and follow the Fatherhood Podcast on Instagram at the Fatherhood Podcast. If you enjoy this episode and others, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes. Until next time, I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is a Fatherhood Podcast.